Uh, I have a group of uh, pastors that I meet with at least once a month, have been doing that for about the last 25 years, this group of guys, and we love each other, support each other, pray for each other. And over the years, I've had so many opportunities to work with pastors and minister to pastors and come alongside of pastors, develop and train and mentor them. And I have yet to meet a pastor who has been more supported and loved by his church than I am. So I just want to say thank you to you guys. You guys mean everything to me. I was bragging on you the other um, all of my kids were born in this church, raised in this church, and all of them still love this church. That's a very rare thing, so I am very grateful. Hey, last week, um, we right before we got into the sermon, we dove into a, a prayer situation for our ministry in Uganda called Reigning Hope. And so a number of you have been praying for Reigning Hope this week. If you weren't here last week, I'm going to give you a fast update. They basically uh, received information from the city saying, listen, you got to come to this emergency meeting because we're probably going to shut down all of the children's homes in this area if you don't come in line on a bunch of things. And, uh, and so they went into this meeting only to find that when they got there, I want to give you this update, when they got there, it wasn't just them, it was all of the children's homes in the area. And that basically what happened was that the mayor, the city council, and everybody met with all of them, and basically one by one, they shut them down, except for Raining Hope. So they, they specifically told Pastor Godfrey at Raining Hope, we want you to go last because we want everybody to be gone by the time we talk to you. They sat down with Pastor Godfrey, and, and he, he described it this way. He said, it was, it was more like they were a support team than anything. They were, they were telling us that they want us to be the model children's home in the area and giving us some counsel as to how we can do the things that will get us in line with the new laws so that we can do that. So, Reigning Hope was allowed to remain open, and... Um, they uh, are going to be working with the city to um, get these things in line so that they can become a model for the way that the city is going to do ministry to children in the future. So we're praising God. Also, at the same time, they have to come up with a whole bunch of things really fast. They got to raise money. They got to make changes. They got to do things. So we need to be praying for them. We'll be keeping you posted. If you get the uh, newsletter from Raining Hope, uh, you'll be hearing from them soon about all the details that are going on. But I just wanted to stop and say, isn't God good? Amen. So, so thankful. So I wanted to give you guys that update. Hey, um, I want to tell you a story this morning, and it occurs to me it's possible that maybe some of you have already heard this story before, so if you know the story, don't spoil it for those who haven't heard it before, but the story goes something like this. A long time ago, in a, in a very faraway land known as Kansas, there was a young girl by the name of Dorothy. And Dorothy and her little dog, Toto, were caught up in a um, uh, twister. And it actually picked up the house, and the house spun. And by the time the house was gently set back down, and they walked out the front door of that house, they immediately noticed some feet sticking out from under the house. But that's another story for another day. 
But they also noticed everything looked different. Everything was in vibrant color. All of the people looked different. All of the characters looked different. All the landscaping looked different. Everything about the place looked different. And Dorothy famously turned to her lovely little dog and said, Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. I don't know if you've ever heard that story. But I wonder if you've ever felt that way. Like, like this is not your home. Like somehow it doesn't feel like this is really where you belong long term. Like, like, like no matter how much you try, you're probably never going to exactly fit in. Uh, I, I've spent a, a fair amount of time in uh, countries all around the world. Um, and I've been in South America, I've been in Europe, I've been in Asia, I've been in Africa. And, and some places to me feel a little bit like you're just on vacation somewhere in the United States, right? When I go to England, like they talk funny <laughs> and, the, and the food is bad, really bad. <laughs> and they drive on the wrong side of the road but other than that, I'm comfortable. I speak the language, I can read the signs, I know what's going on, I'm relatively comfortable. When I go to Spain, when I go to Mexico, I'm relatively comfortable, I speak the language there, although I speak Mexican better than I speak Spanish. In Spain, it's a whole different story, but uh, I have to ask for things to be repeated when I'm in Spain. But, but you know, the fact that I speak the language and the culture is not so dramatically different really makes me comfortable. It takes me about a day to where I'm back into thinking and dreaming in Spanish and then I'm fine in those places. But, but when you go someplace where you do not speak the language, you do not understand the culture, you can't even read the signs because they're made with marks that you don't recognize, they don't look anything like our alphabet, it gets a little bit uncomfortable when you're not familiar with the customs and, and, and especially if you don't have somebody to sort of take you by the hand and show you the ropes. Um, <clears throat> many years ago, I was invited to both South Korea and China on a long trip where I was going to be a keynote speaker at a conference, a missions conference in Seoul. And from there, was gonna go to uh, Beijing where I was gonna be teaching in an underground seminary for the underground church. And uh, it was fine because though I had never been to either place, I was traveling with someone who had been to both places and knew the ground very, very well. Uh, our Korean pastor, we had a Korean congregation at that time, our Korean pastor, Pastor Ko and myself went together. We spoke at this conference in Korea, everything perfectly. He knew how to get me the food that wasn't going to make me sick. He knew how to get me where I needed to go and what to do. It was all perfectly fine. And then we were going from there to Beijing where he had already been a teacher at this seminary, knew the people, knew the missionaries we were working with. And let's be honest, he looks a little more Chinese than I do. And so I felt really comfortable until he told me the day before we were leaving that his father had become very sick there in Seoul and he was going to have to stay and I was going to go to China by myself. And I arrived at the Beijing airport, which is massive. And uh, I knew no one. I did not know who I was going to be meeting. 
I did not know what I was going to be doing. I did not know where I was going to be going because they told me the less you know, the better for you. I remember going down this giant escalator into a sea of people with black hair. That's what I remember. And I did not look like any of them. And I couldn't read the sign. I didn't know who I was looking for. And I got to the bottom of the escalator with my bags and I just stood there. And I said, God, you have to get me where I need to go. And this guy walked up to me and said, are you Pastor Doug? And I said, yes. He said, come with me. And I said, really? I don't know you. Are you sure I should come with you? (laughs) Yes, come with me. For all I knew, he was with the government. He was going to confiscate the Bible, throw me in prison. I was never going to be heard from again. And he put me in a car and they drove me to this place. Everything that we did was under cover of darkness. It was all cloak and dagger and it was all scary. And I'm telling you, never once during the entire time that I was there did I feel like I could exhale and let my guard down. It was an incredible time of just watching God do amazing things, but I did not ever feel at home. I never felt comfortable. I didn't know anybody. I couldn't read the signs. I didn't understand what was going on half the time, and it drove me crazy. When you get home from a trip like that, one of the best things about being home is that you can actually relax. You actually let your guard down. You don't have to wonder what's going on or what's going to happen next. You don't have to worry that you're going to walk into a dangerous situation that you don't know how to get yourself out of. Dorothy found Oz fascinating. She was blown away by the colors and the people and the characters and all of that. She even made some wonderful friends there. But in the end, she never really settled in, did she? What was the one thing she always said she wanted? just to go home. I just want to go home. There's no place like home, she said, over and over and over again. She's in this place that she just knew was not her home. As we launch into our Vacation Bible School week, we're going to be diving deeply into what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. This, uh, this world that we live in is an amazing, wonderful place. It is full of incredible things that God has created for us to enjoy. But make no mistake, we are not in Kansas anymore. This world is not our home. As Christians, we belong here. God has a purpose for us here, but it's temporary. We long for home because this is not our home. We are part of a different kingdom. If you brought a Bible with you today, I want you to turn to the New Testament book of Colossians. So when you get to Paul's letters, after all the big books in the beginning, you get to Paul's letters, you get Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, then you're going to come to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. I want you to find the book of Colossians, and we're going to look together in Colossians chapter 1. And uh, you could just uh, leave your Bible open to there because that's where we're going to spend the whole time today. Colossians chapter 1. And I just want to read to you a few verses beginning in verse 9. Paul has just greeted them and he's telling them that he prays for them. Verse 9, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. 
and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Somebody say amen. amen. If you are a Christian today, there is something you need to know. This world is not our home. We have been rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what the scripture says to us. Now, you have probably heard that before, but I am astonished at how easy it is for us, even those who have known the Lord for a very long time, how easy it is for us to live and act day to day as if that's not the case. Sometimes as Christians, we think, well, you know, I don't want to seem like some kind of religious fanatic, so I'm just going to try to blend in and not make people uncomfortable. But guys, we're not here to blend in. It would be crazy for us to blend in. We serve a different king. We have different values. We exist for a different purpose. We've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness, and our citizenship has been transferred to the kingdom of Christ. We should never blend in. Did, did Jesus blend in during his time on earth? Not in the least. Every time he spoke, the crowds were astonished. Why? Because he spoke as one having authority and not like the Pharisees and scribes. He was unlike the other religious leaders of his day. Among the religious leaders, he stood out like a sore thumb. He, he never did anything unless it was specifically what his father in heaven had called him to do. He never said anything except what his heavenly father gave him to say. He was an emissary from heaven. He was an ambassador. He was a missionary. He was a stranger in a strange land. He reflected the values of heaven. He spoke the truth of God. And no wonder his presence made such a splash where others were harsh and judgmental, he was remarkably compassionate and caring. When others ignored injustice, he spoke up and intervened. Uh, he cared for people who had nothing to offer him. Do you realize how unusual that is? In our world today, you don't see people just caring for people who have nothing to offer them very often. But that's what Jesus did. He served rather than expecting others to serve him. He had all power, but you never see him using it to make his burden lighter. He uses it to honor God and serve people. He loved the unlovely. And he spent time with those who could only hurt his reputation. He touched with his hands, lepers. He, he treated women and children and foreigners with tremendous respect and dignity in a time and a place where they did not have any social standing whatsoever. 
Simply put, he was in this world, but he was not of this world, right? He represented a different kingdom. And guess what? So do we. So do we. I love Paul's introduction to the uh, letter to the Colossians because he gives his customary greeting. And then he tells them in verse 9 that he's constantly praying for them. Well, what is he constantly praying for? He, he's going to God on their behalf, and he's constantly beseeching God for them. What is the thing that he's praying for for them? It's not the kind of things that you and I usually pray for. And, and I, don't, I don't mean this as a knock on anybody. God tells us to pray for all things and to let him know what our desires are. We should continue to pray for all of these things. But isn't it interesting whenever you see a list of prayer requests that comes up in a local church or among Christians anywhere, that almost all the prayer requests are that something in life would get easier. I'm sick, I wanna feel better. I'm broke, I need more money. I'm out of work, I need a job. My car broke down, I need a ride. I'm praying that everything in life would get easier and that doesn't seem to be what Paul is praying for. He's praying that God will grant them true knowledge, spiritual wisdom, and understanding. Not a word about making their life easier. He's praying that they would get true knowledge, spiritual wisdom, and understanding. Listen, knowledge is good, but you can have all the knowledge in the world, and if you do not have spiritual wisdom and understanding, you are going to be dazed and confused. That's how it works. Life simply does not work the way our culture says it does. People in this earthly kingdom are living for things that have no ultimate value. No wonder people are so unfulfilled. And listen, there are a lot of Christians today shaking their heads and, and wondering what went wrong with the way people think nowadays. Uh, people today are laying aside reason and common sense, are coming to, to conclusions that seem absolutely ridiculous about important issues and when asked to support those conclusions, they often resort to discussions of how they feel rather than what the truth is. In fact, don't even get them talking about truth because they will tell you there is no such thing as absolute truth. And they don't even notice the obvious fact that if that statement is true, then that statement can't be true. They ignore indisputable scientific evidence about anatomy and physiology and biology and assign countless gender possibilities when common sense, scientific research, and the infallible word of God tell us there are exactly two genders. When faced with the scientific evidence and the mathematical calculations that provide the level of probability that a, that a, uh, a world could exist like Earth that could maintain human life, that a universe like ours could even exist, and the astronomical possibility uh, against that, instead of assuming that there is a God who designed and created everything that we see that is designed and created, they come up with solutions such as, well, there's probably an infinite number of universes out there. And so if you multiply it by the infinite number of universes, then there's going to be one universe like ours that works out the way that it does. Even though there's not one shred of scientific, philosophical, or historical evidence to tell us that there would ever be any more universes than the one that we see. There, there are the greatest minds of our time say things like, 
Well, the universe created itself. The, the family is redefined in the broadest terms possible. Sexual standards are thrown aside in favor of what feels right to every individual. Basic decency is redefined as anything except what hurts someone's feelings. And now let me be absolutely clear after that rant. I am not giving those examples to mock those who believe those things. I'm trying to describe what happens when people abandon God-given wisdom and understanding and the road that it leads us down. And when we don't embrace God-given wisdom and understanding and instead we stick with uh, godless um, atheistic views, it leads us to a place where what makes no sense makes sense to us. And, and, you, and you could do this this week at home. Get your Bibles this week at home and read Romans chapter one. It gives us this whole outline of how this happens and how people just gradually move away from God and that as people move away from God, God allows them the results of that decision and he gives them over to the freedom of their choices and he gives them over and he gives them over and he gives them over and it basically says that when people have moved far enough away from God, God gives them over to a depraved mind a mind that does not work for its intended purpose. And so uh, I am not here to mock or, or call out or um, offend or shame anybody who sees the world the way our society sees the world. Because you guys, if not for God's amazing grace in my life, that's exactly where I would be today. And that's true for all of us. See, here's the thing. You've heard it said that there's this God-shaped void in the side of every human heart and the only thing that fits there is God. But we keep trying to fill that void with something, anything, anything other than God because God's gonna hold me accountable and God has standards for my life and I certainly don't want that. So I'm gonna keep trying to put things into that God-shaped void and nothing quite fits and nothing fulfills. And when nothing fulfills, you just keep turning over any rock and you grab whatever's under it and you try it. And, and all you have to do is look at the people in our society who uh, are the ones who by society's definition have it all. The most famous, the most rich, the most powerful are almost always the least fulfilled. Why is that? It's because when you have tried everything and you're still unfulfilled, that darkness is an incredibly dark place. So there's just people who spin off into drug addictions and, and tremendous depressions and suicide and, and all, of the, all of the brokenness that we see happening among those who feel like they've achieved everything the world has to achieve and still they're empty inside. When you're empty inside, you have no choice but to chase after and, and fame, pleasures of this life and hopes that finally something's gonna satisfy it. But the void in our hearts can only be filled by God. Amen. And if we don't have him in our lives, we are left to desperately seek for meaning and fulfillment somewhere else. And, and that is a huge, huge problem and a huge, huge challenge. 
I don't despise those who are chasing after those things because that's exactly what I was doing before I knew Jesus. It's only by God's grace that I've been reached out for, pulled out of the muck and mire, and transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. So like Jesus, we who represent him need to have compassion, not contempt for those who are still lost. One of the greatest shames of the modern American church is that by and large, most of the people outside the modern American church think of us as people who despise them. It's a horrific, horrific shame. It needs to change. The body of Christ needs to love people. Not ask them whether or not their moral code fits everything before we decide to love them. Not tell them that they got to get their lives cleaned up and then we will love them. Not, not mock them and make fun of them and, and separate ourselves from them and get ourselves as far from them as possible before we will love them. No, we got to go to people who don't know Jesus and we have to be Christ to them. We have to touch lepers. We have to protect the woman caught in adultery. We, we have to offer living water to the woman at the well. We have to be light in the darkness. That's what God has called us to. So it may seem ridiculous to me, it may seem ridiculous to you to sit and go, how has our world bought into all of these crazy things? But you guys, it's only the grace of God that keeps us from that. Let's pray for God's grace in the lives of everybody because we all have that void and only Jesus fills it. So instead of mocking and judging those who lack godly wisdom and biblical understanding, we need to love them. We need to share God's grace with them. That's what we're here for. The Bible calls us ambassadors for Christ in this kingdom that is not our own. We're never gonna fit here. Jesus never fit in here. But instead of separating himself from sinful, lost, and confused people, he embraced them and brought them into the kingdom of light. So many examples we can give. I already mentioned the woman caught in adultery. Jesus not only does not condemn her, but he also speaks truth to her and says, now go and sin no more. It wasn't one or the other, it was both. And, and for the woman at the well... He offers himself as living water because she is trying everything else in the world to fill her thirst and he knows there's only one thing that will. He went way out of his way to meet her that day. To the prostitutes, he offered not money in exchange for sexual favors, he offered love and forgiveness in exchange for shame and brokenness. To the tax collectors, he offered true wealth. To zealous religious folks, he offered a relationship with the living God as a replacement for all their rules and standards and regulations. He spent so much time with lost people that he developed a bad reputation among religious people. Why? Because he wasn't here to please the religious people. He wasn't even living to please himself. He was living for the purpose for which he was sent here, to please his Father in heaven by loving the people who are made in his image. We're still in uh, Colossians chapter one. Look at verse 10. 
He, he, he says, I'm praying for all of these things so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk like Jesus to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's why Paul was praying for them. That's what he was asking for in their lives. That's what we should all be praying for in our own lives and the lives of other Christians today. Number one, that we would walk in a manner worthy of Christ. That, that when people watch the way we walk, the way we live, the way we behave, the way we act, when they read our social media posts, when they see the way we deal with our children, when they watch what happens when we're dealing with obnoxious people, when they see how we deal with our government, when they see what we do with our money, when they see where we place our values, that they would actually think of Jesus as opposed to thinking of some political leader that they think we follow. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Not for our own pleasures and purposes. Not in condemnation of the lost. Not driven by judgment and hatred and self-righteousness. But so amazed by God's grace in our own lives that we can't help but offer it to other people. He prays for that. He also prays that they would bear good fruit, lasting fruit, eternal fruit, with the good works that they perform for the glory of God and the benefit of others. He also prays that their lives would be marked by true spiritual power and not by human manipulation, not by the power of wealth, not by political strength, but by true spiritual power marked by steadfastness and patience and joy. He, he prays that everything they do would be done in service to the Father in heaven uh, and and that they would not embrace the world's systems and values and temporal purposes. According to scripture, every one of us was once dead in our trespasses and sins, living as if we were our own gods. And like the younger son in Jesus' famous story that we talked about last week, we all woke up with the pigs one day. And when we came to the end of ourselves, our heavenly father ran to greet us to put a robe on our shoulders and a ring on our finger to kill the fatted calf and celebrate that we who were once dead had now been born again. In short, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Glory to his name. And with that truth in mind, I challenge all of us Let's devote ourselves to that which gives God glory, to that which has eternal significance. Let us be ambassadors who, like the one who we represent, refuse to compromise grace for truth and would never avoid the truth in the name of grace. My prayer is that we will never make it about ourselves, our plans, our comfort, our desires, our opinions, even our local church or even our lives, but that we will always remember that we represent another king in another kingdom. And however impressive 
this kingdom might be, it is not our home. And with Dorothy, we say there is no place like home. I'm going to live for home. I'm going to set my sight on home. We're the keepers of the kingdom. That's why God has called us to love those who are lost. It's why we spend our time, our effort, our energy, and our money on things like Vacation Bible School in hopes of reaching even just one kid with the love of Jesus Christ and planting a passion for God in the heart of a child. It's why we go to faraway lands, care for people we've never met and would otherwise never even know, just to, just to bring a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. We are not of this world, my friends. We live for the glory of a different king. And may we always be about his business and not our own. By the way, you remember Dorothy? In the end, she made it home. And man, was she glad to be there. One day, you and I are going to be home. But while we're here, let's represent our king wherever he sends us. Let us walk in a manner worthy of the king we represent. Let us value what God values. Let us care for those for whom God cares. Let us spend ourselves and our earthly lives on that which has eternal significance. One day we're gonna be home, but that day is not today. God has you here today because God wants to change the world and you and I are his hands and feet. It's an incredible privilege to be an ambassador for Christ. It's an incredible blessing to be a missionary. And it is all about him. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, we come before you now uh, confessing that while we live in this other kingdom, we tend to get enamored with the things of this kingdom, so many of which are given to us by you. They are your blessings. The beauty of a flower, the, the feeling of a cool breeze, the blessing of friendships and families and those who love us. Father, we are so privileged and blessed by you even while we are, uh, we are here as ambassadors for you. But let us never forget, God, that there is a home that calls our name. There is a place where we are known by our true name. There is a place that has been prepared for us where all of the uh, stumbling blocks of this world are removed and where we can actually live for the purpose for which we were created, to glorify you. And so, Father, we thank you for your amazing, amazing grace in our lives, and we pray that you would plant in us a constant reminder that we serve a different king, that we live by a different set of values, and that we love in an unselfish way for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I can't think of a better segue now from talking about the fact that uh, we serve a different kingdom, that it is not about us, it is not about our comfort, it is not about our ease, it is not about our plans, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I won't re-preach what I just said, but I will say that coming out of that statement from God's word, 
uh, what a perfect time for us to pray over missionaries who are going out into the field. And, and a few weeks ago, we had Bo and Mem uh, up here, and we devoted our whole service to sort of um, commissioning them for the ministry that they're going to. Well, guess what? They get on a plane this coming Saturday. So on the one hand, this is an incredibly bittersweet thing for us as a church family. We hate to see them go, and yet we are thrilled to send them. It is such an incredible thing to watch what God does when people are just willing to say, yes, I will live for your kingdom and not my own. And so I thought the best way for us to close this service today would be for us to just have a time of praying over Bo and Mim before they leave. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you if you will just change seats right there. And then I'm going to have Bo and Mim come and sit in these two front seats. Can you guys come? And yeah, just, no, just, no, we're going to leave them there. You guys just open up two seats next to each other. Thank you. One more over. There we go. And, and the reason I want them sitting here instead of uh, coming up on the platform is because what I'd like to do is I would, like, I would like to invite you. If you have uh, a relationship with Bo or Mim or both of them together, if you have been called to be a supporter in their ministry, if you've been praying for them and you're devoted to praying for them moving ahead, um, we're going to do this chaotic thing right now. I'm just going to ask you, we can't all get to where we can get a hand on them, but I'm just going to ask you, if you're far from them, if you would move, we're just going to gather around. So everybody just come. If, if God has called you to do this, you can sit in your seat if you want and pray for that from there. But we're just going to kind of gather around these guys and we're going to pray for them. I'm going to give everybody a minute to get here. We'll just kind of build this. If, if you're claustrophobic and you're sitting in the center <laughs> section, we'll pray for you too. So many of us have long-term relationships with these guys. They have impacted our lives. And we have been used by God to impact their lives. And this is a new chapter in our church's life as our ministry in Kenya begins. And so this is not a... Extension of Grace Fellowship. So I'm just going to bow our heads and maybe just put a hand in this direction. And I'm just going to lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you because you have indeed delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of your beloved son. It's an incredible privilege. And you have now called us to be your ambassadors wherever we go. To some of us, you have called us to the San Gabriel Valley. To others, you're calling to Africa. And we thank you that in Kenya, there is a ministry that you have already prepared for them. There are people who you have already set aside for Bo and Mim to impact. And not only that, but that they will impact Bo and Mim. That your whole kingdom will advance because of this. Thank you for their faithfulness and their example to us. May we follow in those footsteps and be faithful to pray for them, to love them, support them, help them in every way that we possibly can as the ministry of this church continues far, far across the sea. We thank you for your amazing grace. We ask for your total blessing on these next few days as they prepare to leave, on their travel as they go, on all the details that you know how to fix. 
and on the lives that they're going to touch in the next two years and perhaps beyond. We dedicate them to you afresh. We thank you for your plan. And we ask you to carry them all the way home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.